0: All right, let's uh, take our Bibles, if you would, please. We'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians 8. Begin reading at verse 1. As you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. to the reading and hearing of his word. Please be seated. So we come now to this uh, next section in the book of 2 Corinthians. You might remember, those of you who have been here before and have been following along this, uh, for those as well that are online, that we have uh, been talking about most recently, the relationship between Paul and the Corinthian church that was damaged and how that relationship was repaired. You might remember two-pronged attack in, uh, in dealing with those damaged relationships. Number one, through appropriate discipline, whether formal or not, in, in Paul's case here, his uh, acting in his office as an apostle to challenge them with their sin and so on, which they didn't appreciate to begin with, but eventually did follow along with the second prong of uh, that is necessary to see those relationships fixed, and that was repentance. And their repentance was sincere. Their desire to have that relationship repaired uh, was there, and so Paul has been rejoicing in that. As you may remember, he finished up the last Uh, with the last statement in the prior section, saying, I have this great confidence in you. So thankful for the repentance that they had shown to the confrontation that he brought to them from the word of God. So now this relationship being restored, there's another stronghold to deal with, not just division, um, which uh, has to be attended to, but once that division, once that disunity has been dealt with, there's another stronghold that Paul has to address here. And he does this very, very graciously throughout this section. But they've, they've left something undone. And it needs to be taken care of. Specifically, uh, there is a, a, a very uh, uh, intense Stronghold that has to be dealt with in our own hearts, and that is our desire to attend to our own needs rather than or before taking care of those of the household of God. And that often happens when there's damaged relationships, and you can, I think you can imagine why. If we're hurt, if we're suffering, if we feel afflicted or put upon, and we feel at odds with each other, where's the majority of our focus going to go? On ourselves. Right and how we're going to take care of ourselves. You know, I'm not going to deal with those folks. I'm going to deal with this. I'm not going to deal with that person. I'm going to deal with this. I'm not going to deal with this situation. Um, I've just got to take care of my own matters. And so that apparently was what had happened in Corinth. They they had begun a project that is spoken of elsewhere in in the New Testament as well of the the need that was happening in the church of Jerusalem, among the saints of Jerusalem who uh, were undergoing times of persecution and difficulty. And so the churches around the Mediterranean uh, world were taking up collections and sending funds there to help out the saints in Jerusalem. And that project had apparently uh, begun in Corinth, but had not been finished. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Now, over the next couple of chapters Paul is going to be dealing with this whole matter of giving and there is uh, there's a verse or two there are verses here that are commonly quoted uh, whenever it comes time to try to encourage people to give and you know giving uh, anytime giving is put out just like we just did here with asking for the benevolence offering um, to help out the chaplain Corps with repairs to angel one. Uh, there's, there, there's, there are practical concerns, right? And, and we can look at those practical concerns, whether it's a missionary project, whether it's helping somebody rebuild their house, whether it's helping out a ministry or whatever it is, there are certainly practical benefits towards giving. And we may have opportunity to talk about those things at another time. But that motivation... Of just the practical help to others, as as good as that is, really should be a secondary motivation. And Paul is dealing uh, with that issue here. He's as he walks through this. Notice he doesn't spend all, all this. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the great need there and pulling on their heartstrings to try to get them to, you know, dig a little deeper so that they can help the saints of Jerusalem do this, that, or the other. He bases his discussion, he starts his discussion uh, from an entirely and unexpected way. Godly giving, I'm going to make this statement more than once today. Godly giving must be gospel-driven. We're going to see that in verse 9, verse 9 very clearly. But But giving, godly giving should be gospel-driven, is gospel-driven. And here's why. And it relates to the excellent quote that we heard at the beginning of the service from, from Charles Spurgeon about the overflow of grace. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, there's the gospel message. So walk in Him. Received grace leads to shared grace leads to overflowing grace as you have received it so you should be walking in it towards others now, of course giving can take a lot of different forms well it's you know, oftentimes it's there's a monetary factor other times it's our time other times it's our energies our service right sometimes it's the giving that comes of our the empathy that we have as we feel the pain of others and walk alongside them in it but that's where giving should start, recognizing that we have been given much, it's time to give much in return. As you look through this passage, there are going to be a number of different terms that would seem to be, on, in the English, uh, to be uh, lots of different words, perhaps, underneath, uh, behind it in the, in the original text. But you will notice several times the word overflow in this chapter. You'll also notice the term excel over and over again in this chapter. And these abundance as well, those three English translations, and then the idea expressed even more generally. But on those specific terms, interestingly, in the original language, they are all the same word over and over and over again. The key term of this passage is overflow. Overflow, overflow. Whether you're talking about excelling, whether you're talking about abundance, whether you're talking about overflowing in the English, it all has to do with uh, an overflow in your response to one another and to the Lord. And what does this overflow look like? What does it look like? Again, Steve's uh, uh, citation of Spurgeon was just excellent, Um, well chosen, of the, the well that flows up and as it's full and spills over, it issues forth into streams that go around and bless others. And if you don't have those streams flowing out, then maybe the well might not be dry, but it certainly isn't full. You're not really aware of the fullness of what God has given you and you're not responding in the proper way to him. It's easy to walk through life being ungrateful and, being, and, and entitled and thinking that we're owed more and that God ought to do more for us and we could only, we'd only be happy if uh, you know, the Lord would give us this or give us that or give us the other thing. But notice in verses one and two, as he brings out this example from the churches of Macedonia. How interesting, why he would choose Macedonia. Besides the fact of what the Macedonians did, fits here very very nicely. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the Corinthians. And remember what the city of Corinth is like. It is the cultural and arts center of Greece. This is where all the highbrows live. This is where all the money is. Macedonia had at one time a completely different city-state. They were looked at as kind of the country bumpkins. They are not the high highfalutin. They are not the, uh, the white-collar, polished, rich people. They're the, the blue-collar guys. They're the ones that are considered to be rough and uncultured, and beneath uh, many others. So Paul brings out Macedonia to the Corinthians and says, why don't you think about the Macedonians? Think about what they did. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That statement in itself says, Corinthians, the Macedonians are on a higher plane because God has been among them. God has poured out grace to them. And I want you to be aware of that. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, no, they haven't had it easy. Their, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Now, are those two th- two things that you would normally put together to think about overflowing? Extreme poverty, well, three things. Affliction, Extreme poverty and, wait a minute, abundance of joy, and that abundance is overflowing. So this is basically saying, in a severe test of affliction, affliction, their overflowing of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. What is Paul saying? Basically saying money isn't everything. Joy is not dependent upon how much you have. Your joy is dependent upon the grace of God that's been poured out into you. Those of you that have traveled around the world or, diff- or even around the, the country, and you, have, you, you probably know or have observed those who have very little and yet seem to be quite content and happy, particularly among the household of God. Uh, I know in some of the countries that I've been in and seen Absolutely incredibly heart-wrenching poverty, and yet you get into the worship services and they sing the roof off with joy to absolute delight. One of my favorite memories is driving through the western part of Rwanda over these bumpy, horrible, horrible roads. at one point the road the rocks underneath tore the brake line off the. Off the, underneath the car I had to stop and do repairs on the side of the road it's one of those Toyota vans that are everywhere uh, around the world that they use for like little mini buses and there was me and 22 pastors um, some lady and a rooster in that van bouncing around hanging out the windows with the, w- the windows open and these guys are dirt poor They've got nothing. And the entire day, with the windows down, singing at the top of our lungs, and I didn't even know, you know, I wasn't sure what language I was singing in. I kept saying to the guy next to me, what are we singing about? Okay, la la la, I can at least do harmony. Um, And they are just singing at the top of their lungs, praises of Jesus Christ, as we're bouncing around from village to village to minister. It's, fantastic. it's just awesome. Incredible experience. Joy isn't dependent on what you have. It doesn't, it's, it's not dependent upon your comforts. It's not dependent upon your social status. It's dependent upon the grace of God that has flowed out in you. And if you're a joyless person, one of two things is true. Either you haven't recognized the grace of God in your heart and life and therefore uh, are responding in gratitude to Him, or you haven't experienced it. Both things need to be remedied. Because when God pours His grace out into your heart and life, it changes you. And we need to recognize it, and we break forth into joy. In spite of affliction, in spite of uh, the, the poverty that we may, uh, may be experiencing, grace is going to overflow when our well is full into joy. And, not only that, it, Paul's, he has a specific issue he's trying to deal with, and that is the offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And so he points out there, the incredible generosity that is shown there among the Macedonians, who have basically nothing, but they're giving out of what they have. You notice he doesn't say, well, you know, they, were, they gave blah, blah, blah amount. That was immaterial. He couldn't have cared less about how much it was. What he cared about was that they gave out of, uh, out of uh, according to, and even beyond their means. As grace flowed out, there was no stinginess about them whatsoever. They were like, we've uh, we got to do something. Well, here we go. And um, they uh, were incredibly generous. And this receiving God's grace does show that in your generosity. Now, it is a matter of means Uh, relatively speaking. Uh, But notice that it is according to your means. Paul didn't put some arbitrary limits on it, saying, well, you know, hey, we're going to... And I'm not necessarily opposed to, you know, fundraising things like, you know, thermometers or (laughs) whatever device we want. You know, that's okay. we got a goal to meet. But in this case, Paul was just saying there's a need here, and the Macedonians gave. I probably didn't have a thermometer picture uh, there. But uh, anyway, they gave according to their means and even beyond it. They gave sacrificially because of the grace they had received from God. And notice that in verse uh, 3 and 4, that this is not just a matter of their means. It really speaks to a matter of their willingness. That this grace overflows in, in, a, in a willing generosity. They begged us, verse 4, earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. When was the last time you begged to support somebody else? In this congregation, I know it's not a rarity, but I want you to think about that. Nobody had to plead with them to give, the Macedonians were pleading for the favor. What a refreshing attitude. I want you to think about uh, these words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, where he speaks about the aid there. He says in, in verses uh, 25 to 27 of Romans 15, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia. Okay, that would be where Corinth is and Athens. <clears throat> Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So Macedonia, Achaia, Corinthians came around apparently, and did give according to their means as well, and they were able to do uh, an offering that helped the poor among the saints there at Jerusalem. So there's a willingness there, an eagerness to participate in the things of God. Again, be, all going going back to uh, Paul saying the grace of God was given to the Macedonians and this is what happened. They were full of joy. They were eagerly generous to give. And then uh, we just read there in Romans about the matter of, of having an obligation to our uh, Jewish brethren? Do you remember uh, in the covenant that was made with, well, not, the you know, covenant provisions that were made with through Noah and his three sons, and do you remember the blessing that came as an outgrowth of that, um, the blessings that came upon the three sons, or in one case, uh, a curse that came upon one of the sons. That Shem was to be the one that received the, the, the great blessing. The second son, or it was actually the third, and was elevated. Japheth, uh, father of many Gentile nations. Japheth shall dwell within the tents of Shem. There is a covenant connection uh, that we have because of our Lord's plan to bring uh, out of out of uh, all the nations of the earth one people um, we and primarily revealing himself to begin with through the Jewish nation we have an obligation okay. this isn't just about you know uh, a pitch to to give to israel that 's not what i 'm talking about here but it's a recognition that we are uh, we are walking in obligation and obedience. And that is what we see in verse 5. So there's desire, there's eagerness, but also, it says in verse 5, this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. <clears throat> now this phrase, not as we expected, Paul, I don't believe, is making some reference to their poor character. It's rather their poor circumstances. It's not that he was expecting the Macedonians to be louts about this and stingy beasts. Uh, he was surprised that out of their poverty they gave what they gave. I, I, he didn't expect much from them in terms of quantity and they gave uh, in abundance in re- relatively speaking to what they had. But I want you to notice here, and this is the principal point about obedience. They are not just giving funds. They're giving themselves. They're giving themselves. I want you to think about that for a moment or two and and examine your own patterns of giving. Have you ever given to a panhandler on the street? Somebody came up begging for whatever something, something to eat, something or else. And it's always an uncomfortable thing, or it can be. Uh, should I give? Am I just you know, enabling this person? Is it a scam? You know, so on. We have all those kinds of things that are there. And sometimes it can be easy just to throw some money at them and just go away, and we've shabbed our conscience. Um, I remember a number of years ago um, when I was in China visiting with our missionary there, we were walking down the street, and there was a lady sitting outside. Uh, we were in Beijing, and it was it was actually a, it was something like a fast food restaurant i can 't remember exactly what it was A lady sitting out um, with a little child and begging for money and everybody else was walking by and I was prepared to walk by because i 'm just not you know i 'm just kind of in my mind. You go to a foreign country, I've been to a lot of foreign countries where you, you give something to someone and suddenly you are besieged, surrounded by a crowd, um, and everybody wants something. And you, know, you don't know, a lot of it is there's child slavery involved, there's human trafficking that's involved, and, and it's just, you just don't know what to do. So I was prepared to just walk, walk by because I didn't know exactly what to do. Our missionary stopped Went, went down on a knee and started talking to the lady and, uh, and then she said to me come on we need to go in the restaurant so we went in the restaurant and we, we bought meals for her and her child and went out and spent some time with them she talked to the gospel spoke about the gospel to this lady and the, the tears in that lady's eyes were incredible um, because the love of Christ was really shown to her by our missionary in such an incredible way Um, we were on a mission we were going from point A to point B we had something to do we could have just thrown some money at her and said here you go and just do our thing but our missionary gave of herself to that lady in terms of time and service and witness in a way that I trust I don't know but I trust will have eternal consequences in her life and perhaps the life of her child as well it's not about the money. It's about giving of yourselves to the Lord and to each other. And that happens when you're conscious of the grace that God has given to you. And it pours out in generosity toward others in many, many ways. And that brings me to verses six through nine, which uh, is getting more and more to the, the heart of what's going on here. That, that, Your grace, yes, you're full of joy when you receive it, and your heart is generous and desiring to help others, which is marvelous. But that grace doesn't just show in write. It's it's much more than just writing a, a check. It's not to say that the checks shouldn't be written and money shouldn't be given. It certainly should. But it's about much more than that. Paul goes on to use this term here, Beginning of verses six and seven, and um, uh, yeah, six and seven says, "Now Titus, you need to complete among you this act of grace." We're going to come back to that in a minute. But as you excel in everything, there's that excel again. As you are, as you overflow in everything—in faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness—and in our love for you, see that you overflow or excel in this act of grace also. So now, take a look at. And what the Macedonians have done, be spurred on to recognize that sure, there's lots of other areas in your life that because of the grace of God you are excelling in, there's over, overflow in, grace will show in the in your conduct in every area of life conduct that says here in faith I would say, I would put it this way to, you know, conduct that is aware of the Lord's work of others to begin with um, this act of grace that uh, was begun with, which is the giving of, to the saints in Jerusalem. It was begun by the Macedonians. Now, complete this. You started it. You're coming alongside them, being aware of who they are. Now, let's, let's get on boards, get with the program, and finish this uh, so that you're overflowing in consort with, uh, concert with everybody else who is involved in this. You know, we as believers um, are pretty small bunch of people, aren't we? As far as churches go, we're pretty small. But there I trust you are aware you do know there are other Christians out there, right? Sometimes, I'm afraid the local churches sometimes forget that that's true. And where there are faithful believers and where we can come alongside one another, we should. And now, within a, in one respect, our denominational connections make that a little easier. The provision and the, the, the mechanics are already in place, right? For giving through our mission boards and, and by our communication with one another and the needs that are there of different uh, pastors and their families and their churches, uh, we can help one another and encourage one another, being aware of various ministries around. All of those kinds of things come into play. We're not an island. We need to be aware of what else is going on, and we need to come alongside, pool our resources together with those of like precious faith, and use our the resources God has given us to generously and joyless, joyfully benefit others, be a blessing. Uh, in verse 1, um, the grace of God has been given among the churches of Macedonia, Verse 6, we just read, and then also in verse 7, um, excel in this act of grace also. Take part in this where you can. Secondly, your conduct, if it's full of grace, is going to show itself by excelling and overflowing with strong faith. See that in verse 7? Trusting in the Lord, not walking constantly in doubt, uh, as Wave uh, tossed about by the wind. Speaking of the wind, we had a lot of wind last night. Walked out this morning. I had a we had a very nice little um, pop-up gazebo tent out by the pool. It's now flattened and uh, it tried to wrap itself around the, our little cabin in the backyard. So, um, not sure why I brought that up. Oh, because of the wind tossing things about. That's it. So we don't want to be tossed about. Uh, <laughs> Did I mention it was a late night last night? Um, anyway, the, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that we need, uh, my tent probably wouldn't have gone anywhere had I actually staked it down. Um, but I didn't, not knowing that a gale force was going to come through last night. We need a strong faith, do we not? Because those, uh, while things can go along well many times, uh, those gale force winds can come through, and we need to be well anchored in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in our God and Father, and in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The spirit, faith, our journey with our Lord begins with faith, and it needs to continue with faith. And as we receive his grace, it will by his, by his goodness. Third, our conduct, uh, if it's if it is flowing, overflowing out of the grace that God has given to us will be demonstrated in godly speech. You excel in everything, overflowing in speech. Now, by godly speech, I don't just mean that which is not vulgar and that which is not crass and profane and blasphemous. Those things would certainly be included. I'm also thinking about, because of the context of grace here, and that God has poured out His grace into our hearts and changed us and ministered to us, And so, now, how are we going to minister to others in our speech? It's not just by avoiding wicked speech, but by having our mouths filled with messages from our Lord, filled with the Gospel, filled with encouragement, filled with truth, filled with love, filled with even confrontation where necessary uh, to, to address people when they're walking in a way that's contrary to the Lord's word. That kind of speech, overflowing, so that the grace of God is evident in every word that you say. Speech that builds up and doesn't tear down. Speech that's characterized by peace and love rather than rage and bitterness and suspicion. Conduct uh, that is gracious will be will produce speech uh, that is full of grace. And then uh, grace poured out in our hearts and lives will also uh, reveal itself in the overflow of knowledge. Now, uh, I want you to think about this for a minute. There's a couple of aspects here. It doesn't mean suddenly, uh, now I've experienced God's grace and now I know everything. Suddenly, I am now an expert on all things uh, theological or otherwise. Uh, this is, I think, speaking about the pursuit of knowledge, as well as, um, once having acquired it, living wisely according to it. So, there's, a, there's an excelling here, or there's an overflow that that shows... It's one thing to read a book, right? It's another thing to know how to use it. A lot of people read lots of books. Um, but then when trying to apply it, they can abuse or bruise or just miss the point entirely, though they've got all kinds of facts right, in their minds. So when, we're, when the Lord has poured out his grace upon us, it ought to encourage us, it ought to show in the pursuit of thorough godly knowledge in every aspect of life. No, it's no, re- it's no uh, surprise um, and no secret that at least in this country and indeed in many other countries around the world, particularly if they have any sort of Christian history among them, that the universities and the educational institutions and so on that exist in those countries existed because of the efforts of those who are followers of Christ who said, uh, we need to know what this world is that we live in. We need to know what it's about. We need to know how to live in it. We need to know how it functions. We need to know these things so that we can live rightly before our God who created us and who created this world. As well as being aware of his presence in history, his, his thoughts as they apply to philosophy and um, the operations of the human mind and body and every other discipline you can think of. The Corinthians apparently, um, perhaps because of their their wealth and their position in the world. Maybe they had a uh, little more time to pursue educational uh, opportunities and that sort of thing. Maybe uh, uh, that's the uh, unlike here in the West. You know, we've got all the books and stuff that we have, whereas others uh, don't have the time and the leisure to do that. Uh, they they have one or two books that they hold very precious uh, to to their hearts. And here we have thousands of books and uh, hardly give them the time of day. Um, you know, if we're full of grace because of who God is, we want to know who he is. We want to know more about him. We want to live in a way that is pleasing to him. So let us pursue that knowledge uh, uh, so that we can do that. And then uh, kind of goes along the same sort of ideal idea here um, of excelling and overwhelming. In all earnestness, or we might use the word Zeal, I have a a sincere zeal. If we're gracious, I mean, if you're thankful for something and you're you're pumped about something that you have received, are you lackadaisical about that? No. Um, Now, as a general rule, that's not the way we operate. When we're excited about something, we're excited about it. Right now, all of us show that in a little different ways. Um, I've been in I've been in some churches where. I remember one church years and years ago, I was visiting a ministry, and I, the pastor, over and over again, before, the, before the, the evening service, he kept warning us. It was like a, it was an independent church of some kind. I don't remember what it was. But he kept saying to us, I was an all-guys team, he said, no, boys, I just want you to know, we're not charismatic. I just want you to know, we're not charismatic. And he told us that so many times, we were like, uh, what are we about to experience? And anyway, that evening service was pretty lively. Pretty exciting. They were, whoo, they were just fired up and all kinds of stuff and singing and and it was very interactive. I'll just put it that way. Um, not charismatic, just really excited. And then we were in another place in the, somewhere in the Midwest and uh, you'd have thought we were, you know, at a funeral home. Everybody sat there through the whole thing. They were very... And then after the, after the service was over, all these people come up and go, oh, that was really great. And it's like, oh, you were awake. Wow. Okay. You know, it, we express that. We express that zeal in different ways and according to our personalities. But nonetheless, that zeal for the house of the Lord and the things of God ought to be there. And it will be if our hearts are filled with grace. It will overflow in that kind of zeal. And then our conduct having received grace is going to prove something. It's going to prove that love, our love, as well as the love that we have received, is genuine. And so let's think about love that is received. Verses 8 and 9, it's interesting, in this list of you've excelled in faith, speech, knowledge, and earnestness, and then you've excelled in our love for you, which seems kind of like it doesn't really fit. And yet, there is an aspect of being able to receive love, is there not? I think in some cases it's actually easier for us to show love because that's something we can control. It makes us feel good. It can almost speak of pride, kind of thing. Perhaps we need to be on guard against. But to receive it implies that we have uh, we are in a position where we need something that somebody else can give us. Kind of strikes our ego maybe a little bit. I don't know. Sometimes it's, it's it can be hard for some to accept gifts and accept love from others. But Paul commends them, and I take this as a commendation to them that they, you know, prior to the relationship being damaged, they they loved Paul's ministry among them, and received his love um, graciously and with appreciation. That's to be commended on their part. Notice here, verses, verse 8, it's, he it says, uh, our love for 7, it's our love for you. See that you excel in this after grace also. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For, your, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Do you ever think about it, the fact that your salvation is dependent upon you by the grace of God being able to receive His love? Um, You may have noticed maybe not um, make a point of never saying um, accepting Jesus. That puts us in a position of authority over Him, a position of superiority over Him, that we accept Him. The biblical terminology is that we receive Him. He accepts us on the basis of what Christ has done. But we receive Him. But to receive Him means that we humbly have to acknowledge that we have nothing of ourselves to offer. We have to receive from Him. And on the basis of that, this is, again, why I say that that godly giving is gospel-driven. It springs out of receiving the grace of God as expressed through the Lord Jesus Christ, who showed the way, the ultimate example, model of an overflow of grace. And I thought here of this, this verse in the verse in the Psalms, Psalm 1, "My cup runs over." remember Jesus' words were in the Garden of Gethsemane, "Lord, take this cup from me, if it's your will." But Christ's cup was full full of his relationship with his father and now uh full and there in uh, at the time of his crucifixion full of the judgment that should have been ours um if you receive the love of of god if you received his grace if you acknowledge that christ has died for your sins and done what you could not do and paid the penalty through blood sacrifice to be be united to your Father. That's the essence of what it means to come to Christ and to receive Him as Lord and Savior. Coming to the end of yourself. And when you do, then His grace fills you and your cup will sur- surely run over and you will be filled with gratitude and love that's demonstrated by what you've received. But there's also, having received that love, um, the, that love has to be demonstrated, right? So that's where he comes in here in uh, verse 8 where he says, prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And I puzzled over that phrasing a little bit but I, this is what I think is going on. First of all, the word prove means to examine or test. All right? So here's the test. I believe that Paul is referring back to the Macedonians, essentially, and saying, all right, by the actions of others, how are your actions going to stack up against the Macedonians? You Corinthians who think you're so much more wealthy and so much better and so much more erudite and so much more sophisticated than those rough Macedonians up there, Look at what they've done. They've Here's this act of grace. As God has poured out his grace upon them, they're flowing out and all these things. As you go by that example, how are you stacking up against that? Prove it. You want to love others? Prove it. Though, though he does say, I'm not giving this as a command, do it. <laughs> uh, uh, which is kind of interesting the way he's done that. But he's, He's, he's trying to say, I'm not, I'm not just trying to twist your arm on this and force you, because that, that wouldn't prove the point. What encourages Paul about the Corinthians is that in their response to him, now that's turned around, and that they, he's encouraged that they will pour out the reality of grace in their life upon others, and it will show in these tangible ways. Again, this is not just about writing... A check. Um, another time I was traveling. I thought was on the same trip. That was a momentous trip, uh, ministry trip years ago. Went to uh, a couple of different churches in Dallas. One of them was a mega church, probably a couple thousand people at this church. The other, that was, a, that was a, and it was on, both on the same day. That was a Sunday morning. We went on a Sunday night to this little tiny church, tiny, tiny church met in a storefront place. They maybe had 20 people just trying to get started. Um, sweet bunch of people there. People at the big church, they were nice to us. They were great. We had a, had a good time there. Um, it's pretty cool singing hymns with that many people. All the instruments cranked up. It's like, whew, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty exciting. It's an exciting service. We go to the little, little church and, and, uh, I think they had a pianist. I don't remember much about that, though I remember that their singing for 20 people was pretty exciting too. But what what really came down to it was when we, we always took up an offering um, uh, to help the expenses of the ministry, the university, uh, the pockets weren't deep, so they asked the churches to help with an offering to help cover expenses for the ministry. The church of 2000 gave us a check because they just wrote it. You know, this is what we do, this is what we do. We just write a check. And they gave us a check for $200. The little church of 20 people took a collection all kinds of nickels and dimes and dollar bills and $20 and whatever here and there, a check here and there. Their offering was $212. Now, again, it's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. One is just pro forma, this is what we do, because this is something you do. <laughs> the other is out of the abundance of grace, people poured out in gratitude. Um, and that that Sunday made a profound impact upon my thinking about my own giving as well as what Uh, of course at the time I was in preparation for the ministry, but what I hoped any church that I might pastor might be exhibited, not by just a, oh, let's just write a check because this is our policy, but to really give of ourselves to whatever that ministry, that minister, that, that needy family, that whatever it might be. That is what we see here. Love that comes overflowing out of that grace. It's demonstrated in reality, and following the example of Christ, the one who gave himself for us. And finally, verses 10 through 15, we'll actually go through these these verses fairly quickly. Grace that overflows to your benefit. In this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started this project. Now you need to finish it. And there's a couple of benefits that are really brought out here in these verses. The first one is the benefit of finishing a job that was well begun. Now think about it. Why was there a year-long break between starting this project and now, when Paul wrote this? I think the answer is pretty simple. It's because of the damaged relationship. Corinthians were weighing their options. Are we going to go along with this or not? We don't like what he said to us. We don't like the the confrontation. We don't like the correction. I really think that that is why there there was a break. You know, sin in relationships has big ripple effects. But now the relationship is fixed. And it's time to refocus with no more excuses. He refers to their desire. You had desire, your your readiness. Uh, You started this, you desired to do it, you were ready to desire it, but now match that by completing it out of what you have. Again, he's not saying, meet this arbitrary amount that I'm imposing upon you. Out of what you have, the overflowing of your grace, finish the project. Desiring is good, beloved. Doing is better. As the scriptures urge us, do not grow weary in doing well. Finish the job. Show show that the desires of your heart are, are, are genuine by matching them with your actions as you love one another. In this particular case, the application is about giving to the needs of the saints. Whatever we're giving, whether it's funds or of ourselves or whatever it is to each other, do it. Do it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just desire it do it and the other benefit we see is in verse from verses 11 through 15 and that is simply the benefit of abundant supply now it kind of goes a little counterintuitive to us say so I'm going to give abundantly out of my means and therefore I'm going to have more right how does that work so I just said that did your mind go wait a minute what but that's the biblical model. That's the pattern that we see. And it's supply without any regard to your situation whatsoever. As again, verse 3, I'll refer back up there real quick. They gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord, just willingly. In verse 11, um, completed out of what you have. Verse 12, verse um, do it according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. There's no arbitrary human you know, level here that we're we're saying should be given. But out of what you have, give. Verse. Uh, think about Mark chapter 12 and the widow's mite. Remember when she comes in, and she throws her little coin in the, the temple offering box, which is by the way why we... Have an offering box on the wall in the back there, rather than pass a plate all the time, because you're trying to follow that pattern. You just you bring your offerings in to the Lord's house, you leave them there between you and God. Come okay, I in, we take special offerings like this on the basis of this kind of passage that we're talking about here. When there's special needs, we take up a special offering. But you do that out of what you have, and not about what you don't have, and not looking around going, "Well, they're giving so and so, so maybe I should try to give." It. No, none of that. You give out of your own might. What did Jesus say about that widow? She said, out of everybody who's walked into the temple today, she gave more than anybody else. She gave the tiniest little penny, the last that she had. She gave everything she had. Other people were throwing in the token this or that or the other, and that's nice to have the token this, that or the other. But it's much better to have, out of the abundance of your heart, you speak and you give. And notice that the results, verses 13 through 15, is about fairness and how the Lord takes care of everybody all the time. Supply, which takes care of all, all the time. It's not about others should be eased and you burdened. I'm not asking you to, you know, okay, pour us, pour us. You know, we're going we're gonna to fork all this over so that the people in Jerusalem can go roll in the dough. Aren't we noble? (laughs) That's not the point. At all. all Alright? He says, no, it's a matter of fairness. Right now, you have abundance. So give. There may come a time when you don't have abundance. And others can give to you. It's how the Lord works so that His church can help take care of each other. So that there may be fairness. And Then in verse 15, he wraps up this section with a quotation from Exodus chapter 16 and verse 18. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. What's he talking about? The manna. The manna. What does that have to do with anything? Remember, there were some that went out to gather the manna, and they're like, oh, I'm going to give it extra. Well, what happened to it? Rotted. And then there were others that didn't Go out and gather very much. Maybe they didn't think they should, or maybe they just, you know, for whatever reason they didn't gather the full thing that the Lord said but they didn't have any lack. And the Lord sustained them with that manna for you know many years while they wandered in the wilderness. Why is that quote there? I think that quote's there is just in case you might be worried that excessive giving might leave you short. Oh, I can't tithe. I can't tithe. How am I going to pay my bills? I can't tithe. How am I going to save for this, that, or the other project? I can't, I can't, give, to the, I can't give that much to the Lord. Uh, um, certainly not regularly. I'll just have to wait until I have some because after all, I've got to take care of my family. Take God's word seriously. Whoever gathers much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. When you overflow in your giving uh, based on the grace that's in you, you're, the, the fact that the grace is there tells you that the Lord is with you and He's not going to let you starve. He's not going to... He, he knows what your needs are. He knows what your bills are. He knows what all those things are. He will take care of you. Amen. Give abundantly, generously, gratefully out of the grace that the Lord has filled your heart with, overflow, excel in these things. That is the attitude that we have, and he will take care of us. It's a matter of fairness, he will take care of all of us all the time. So having received Christ Jesus as your Lord, walk in him. The grace that he has given to you must flow out through you to others following his example. There are no legitimate reasons for failing to be generous with the people of God through the church. Beloved, prove that your love for Christ and his people is genuine, and let your gracious giving and living overflow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this admonition to take seriously and joyfully the grace that you have given to us and live that grace out in every part of life in every part of ministry. Lord, use us. Overflow your grace through us to be streams of blessing to all who are around us. We pray these